Well, it's good to be with you here this evening again and with those who are joining us uh, on the web, whether it's in real time or in the recorded version. We trust that God will bless our time together and thank you for prayers uh, offered on my behalf. I'd like us to turn together to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 6. going to read a portion of, of this, uh, not the whole of the chapter, but we'll be looking at uh, some uh, verses down towards the end of the chapter in a few minutes. <clears throat> Let's uh, <clears throat> read from chapter 6 in Matthew at verse 19, just continuing what Jesus has been teaching Uh, particularly on giving and on prayer and on fasting there. Here at verse verse 19, he's talking about treasures and where we should be laying them up. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, or mammon, as it is translated in other versions. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink. Nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
This is God's word, and we give thanks to God that we have his word for our direction. Before we turn to the word, let's bow our heads in prayer to God. Let's pray. The psalmist prayed, Lord, teach us your perfect way, teach us in your divine paths. And so would we ask of you, Lord, as we turn to your word. We pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things from it, and that we would not, as Andy earlier prayed, that we would not be just hearers of it, but doers of it as well. We ask, O Lord, that you would send your light forth and your truth to be our guides. And we ask all of this, seeking your forgiveness, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like us to to turn to uh, the part of the chapter beginning at verse 28, sorry, verse 25, where Jesus is speaking about a certain type of anxiety. It's an anxiety that is not just simple worry or just uh, having a uh, a condition of mind that some of us perhaps are prone to that, whatever the reason for it is. But there is something deeper that Jesus wants uh, to address to us. The COVID pandemic has, as you all know, brought a, a huge change into our lives by way of being restricted from doing various things, and not least of these, our worship of God together as uh, to some degree, we are able to do this evening. There's been lockdowns. Uh, there have been various restrictions, restrictions on our lives. And there has been a lot of skepticism about how much this ought to go on. Uh, we lose our trust in those who are communicating to us. And not only has the COVID uh, pandemic caused such things, but sadly it's caused uh, illness in various ways, uh, the COVID virus itself and uh, the uh, uh, knock-on effects on certain people's mental as well as physical health. And sadly, there have been losses of life as a result also, and some people have lost their jobs. And of course, with it all, there are spiritual challenges. It doesn't need a COVID pandemic or any kind of pandemic to bring spiritual challenges into our lives. We have these on a day-to-day basis. But it's brought this challenge of how we exist as children of God when we're not able to fellowship as we used to, when we're not able to worship God as we used to, when even our personal devotional lives perhaps may be hindered in some way or discouraged in some way because of the circumstances we're in. I think uh, the fact that we're being able to do certain things now, which we weren't able to do not so long ago, we should thank God for these freedoms that are coming back to us. Uh, We thank God for the society freedoms that we have in any case freedom of choice, freedom of speech, and so on. Uh, There's a certain freedom we have in our own Scottish, British society, Western society, which is denied to many others, as we hear through our news media in other parts of the world. 
and we're inclined to take our freedoms for granted. We're, thank, we're thankful for God for uh, all the, the good things that He gives to us, and perhaps not least for the work of the NHS and the care infrastructure that does exist in our country. And now that uh, these restrictions are being relaxed, perhaps we're tempted to just go back into the old groove of existence in our lives that we had before the pandemic came. And I think it's a good time for myself, as much as for anybody else, to address our priorities, what we're doing in our lives, and to more and more cherish the relative freedoms that we have now uh, returned to us and which have been denied us for over a year. And I think as those who profess the name of Christ, we are more obliged to do these things. How is my life? How am I supposed to live my life? What am I supposed to be living for? What is my aim in life? And it's basically a set part of this sermon, the, the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus here, it's very much to do with a philosophy of life. The whole Sermon on the Mount is. But Jesus here is coming to address a certain aspect of that. We find him outlining the withers and wherefores of being subjects of the kingdom, that is, disciples of Christ, and the expected practices, the things that such people, people who are part of the kingdom, who profess to be followers of, the, of Jesus Christ, uh, he, he is addressing how they ought to live, uh, those who are disciples of Jesus through faith and trust in himself. And uh, what Jesus is targeting basically here is an inner person work of God in the lives of such uh, subjects of his kingdom. It's an inner person work by the Spirit of God demonstrated in attitudes and actions. So Jesus is going into the nitty-gritty. He's in a, in a very real way addressing the minds of his hearers here. And I'd like to look at some aspects of uh, this part of uh, chapter 6, uh, how the Lord Jesus is asking us to trust in, in God's provision for our needs, not for what we want, but for our needs in, in their sufficiency. And he's also making clear what our primary concern should be in this life, which, well, if we don't concern ourselves with this, uh, then it's no little wonder that this uh, anxiety which Jesus speaks of comes into our lives, and we, we bring it upon ourselves. Well, we might ask the question, just before we have a closer look, so what is Jesus meaning? He says in verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. It's uh, an anxiety uh, which is referring essentially, I think, to a state of mind which is over-concerned about obtaining certain things that God has already provided for us. 
but we are inclined as sinful people to extend that uh, concern beyond, unnecessarily beyond, what God has provided for us. Remember how Jesus addressed his audience in another place when he said, what is the prophet, a man, any person, a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl, what is the prophet if we gain the whole world and lose one's life? Uh, it's gaining, gaining the whole world at the expense of one's life. In its essence, life, what is life all about? Is it about material gathering and so on and so forth? Or is life something else? What is life all about? And that's the challenge for us today and until our days here are done. Well, I want to look at this from three points of view, this anxiety that uh, Jesus speaks of. First of all, I want to suggest that Jesus is teaching here that there is an absence of anxiety in the natural creation, in the natural world. And interestingly, this passage, uh, I'm sure, is familiar to us all, even from our, those of us who are told, uh, taught Scripture from our youth, that uh, Jesus here is looking uh, at the, the creation around everybody, and he's asking us to learn lessons from what we see, the, uh, how we see the creation behaving around us. Anxiety, absence of anxiety in the natural world then. It's interesting that he says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. Now, there's a parallel passage here uh, in the Gospel of Luke and chapter 12 where uh, Jesus actually says, consider the ravens. He's very specific in the birds, in the birds he refers to there. But here he says, just in general, look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Look at the lilies, as it says uh, further on. It's interesting, those of you who know this, John Stott, uh, was a very keen bird watcher. I don't know if any young people here know what the big word for bird watching is. It begins with a no. It's ornithology. It's a big word for a Sunday evening, isn't it? Ornithology. And John Stott actually used that word and he called this idea of observing bird life as ornithology. Isn't that clever? Ornithology, and that's what we're going to be looking at for a few minutes just now. So, he, Jesus is asking his audience to listen to him, and he's uh, citing amoral creatures. That's creatures without uh, any moral responsibilities, uh, showing us that they have deep lessons at a moral level to show to us all. And he's telling us that we as human beings are much more stupid than these uh, birds are. Uh, we're inclined to uh, be excessive in our pursuit 
of necessary things. And I'm using these words carefully, necessary things. And that's what Jesus is, ask, is emphasizing in this. And birds and flowers are used, therefore, by Jesus to show us that they are provided for with food and with beauty by uh, their creator. Now, the fowls of the air, the birds and uh, animals and so on, they're not conscious that they have a creator. But, but God is showing to us, as part of his creation, a moral part of his creation, how these creatures have a place uh, for us so that we can learn. The Lord uh, God provides food for uh, the birds. Uh, it's, very, uh, it's very simple here that Jesus isn't saying, well, the birds just have to sit, fold their wings, perch on a whatever, and the, 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 the food drops out of the sky. That's not what he's at. <clears throat> he says, they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns. What they do is they do what is necessary for them to do in order to have their own existence. And that is basically what Jesus is trying to teach us. Uh, interestingly, as well as, as I said here in this passage, he says uh, in verse 28, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But uh, we need to, to, to learn that uh, Jesus is making, making the point that we lose sight of the purpose for uh, obtaining the the material things like food and clothing and drink and so on, the, the purpose for getting our food and being clothed, they're not ends in themselves. But sadly, that is what human nature, sinful human nature, ends up doing. And that is where uh, the anxiety is stemmed from, this striving to get very likely more than we need. The birds of the air don't do that. They get enough. Uh, I'll come to a little bit of detail on that. Some birds actually appear not to have enough. But if the birds didn't work, what would happen to them? If they didn't uh, search out for the food that God provides them, well, they would starve. Does it not say uh, in Scripture, uh, in the writings of, Apostle, of the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to Thessalonians, who were inclined to be a bit idle. Uh, they were dropping tools and waiting for Jesus just to appear. So there was no urgency in their lives to uh, do for themselves. They were dependent very much to a large extent on other people's provision. Uh, isn't it interesting that Paul says, it sounds very blunt, if someone doesn't work, they don't eat. Now, there's a scriptural principle there. I'm not going into the detail of that. But that is what uh, Jesus is teaching, even to earn enough, if we can, to sustain ourselves. And that is as far as we need to go. And the, ap the apparent attitude that Jesus is pointing out, where the birds are concerned particularly, is that they diligently obtain sufficient for their needs, and especially uh, for their young I was uh, actually prompted to preach on this passage when I was up in Skye a few 
uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, enjoyed being up there, and it, it was very interesting that there was plenty of opportunity to look at the birds. There's plenty of uh, birds, bird life uh, up there in terms of, for example, starlings. You see plenty of them around as well. I'm sure I saw a crested tit up in Portree when I was up there. Uh, they're not very, uh, very easily found or seen. I don't know how many here or how many are listening or watching are uh, twitchers, as we call them, or bird watchers or whatever, birders. There were two birds that caught my attention while I was up in sky, perhaps even here in Dundee, and one of them <clears throat> was a starling. Uh, we were staying with our daughter Hannah, and there was, there was a nest of starlings in, in the extraction duct of her kitchen, the, the cooker extractor, the duct going out on the outside wall, a starling, starling parents had found that as an access. And it was quite amazing how diligent they were, uh, going out and uh, bringing back not only food, but bringing back uh, what you would call clothing for the nest, nest material. Uh, and an interesting thing that caught my attention just uh, as a point of interest was that the starlings were, they were actually ba- taking out some of the insulation that had been put into the fan ducting taking it out and jettisoning it outside and coming back with moss in its place. And the sparrows were picking up the, the, the insulation and making use of that. So there was another bird. Uh, but interestingly enough, uh, and here's another thing for the kids, another bird that you could see quite a lot, and you see them in Dundee as well, are crows. But the ones, they're, they're related to the, word, the, the birds Jesus mentions in the Gospel of Luke, ravens. Uh, it, it must be admitted that uh, ravens aren't the most attractive. They're very black, uh, though interestingly in Scripture, black is in at least one place used as a picture of beauty in the Song of Solomon, where the beloved speaks of her loved as black, the, her, the locks uh, being black as a raven. Another interesting thing uh, about the raven, which Jesus uses in the illustration, is that in Jewish ritual uh, religion, it was an unclean bird. There wasn't much to be said about it. I think we'll all agree that crows all ravens, they're not great singers either. You wouldn't say that birdsong from ravens is something that attracts us. But uh, sadly, uh, ravens are associated, as are crows, with opportunism. They're supposed to be crafty and scavenging. I heard uh, my colleague, the minister in Portree, Donny G. MacDonald, saying that uh, he, he, he reared some sheep and they were lambing. And the crows were uh, oppor- using opportunities to attack the lambs, and apparently they went for the eyes of the lambs first and foremost. So that's a rather negative uh, picture of the ravens. Now, for, for the young ones, here's two questions. There are two stories, well, there are a story in the Bible about a man who sent a raven somewhere. I wonder if you can answer that. I don't want you to do it, but there's one question. Who was the man? He sent a raven out 
I wonder to do what. And then there was another man in, 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 the, in the first book of Kings, in chapter 17, actually, uh, who was fed as directed by God by ravens. Isn't that amazing? Well, that's the kind of things that uh, God is asking us to look at these uh, uh, animals, birds, if you like, creatures from his hand, and to learn that, yes, they have to do a certain amount of work to find their food, but the food is there for them if they look for it. And that's the same for us as well, even at a spiritual level. When God tells us to seek him while he is to be found and to call upon him while he is near. The flowers of the field, they're they're a bit different, but God is using them as an illustration for, for being provided with beauty, natural beauty, and it would appear that they don't have to do anything except be found in the appropriate environment for growth. And that is what you and I have to do for ourselves as well. It is God who provides, but all we have to do is to be in the appropriate environment, like, for I'm not a botanist uh, by any manner of means, uh, but uh, Jesus is telling us that even the lilies of the field are perhaps more passive than the birds, in a sense, but all they have to do is uh, have their roots reach out to the moisture and the nourishment that is found in the ground. Psalm 1 was sung today. What is the godly man like? What is the Christian supposed to be like? He shall be like a tree that grows near planted by a river and in his season yields his fruit and his leaf fadeth never. That's the Scottish Psalter version of that verse. So God provides for the birds indirectly as he does for his own people. He, we have to search the scriptures to see what the Lord has there for us. But God has made a provision. Jesus is telling his hearers that their anxiety stems from a lack of simple dependence on and trust in God's sufficient provision for their temporal needs. So, natural creation has much to teach us about anxiety and its causes. Jesus uses these, his creations, to teach what is a simple lesson, yet a lesson we are if we're honest, slow to learn, as he says uh, at the end of verse 30, O you of little faith. You know, Jesus is being very gracious there. He's not saying that you don't have faith, but your faith is lacking. Your faith is weak. Your faith is a bit wobbly. And you're doing, you're inclined to do the wrong things. Now, this was an inclination that existed whether it was existing, it, it very likely was. And we see in the writings of the apostles in the letters of Paul and Peter how this kind of mad pursuit causing anxiety is not seen in the natural world, and we ought to learn from it. 
But here we have the second thing I want to look at, and that is anxiety comes from the wrong ambition. It's another A word. First of all, we had absence of anxiety. Now we had ambition causing anxiety. And we don't have to look very far, even through our various media, television, advertising, and all that, that the secular world encourages us to be ambitious. Now, when I say the secular world, I'm not pointing the finger out there. I've got to point the finger in here, in here. It's my own sinful mind that, that seeks to make me ambitious, to strive for the wrong things or to do more than I need to do. Now, there is a certain level of ambition, of course, that is, is not wrong in the sense of uh, doing the best for God, be ambitious for God's glory, be ambitious to, enable, to do what we can with the gifts that God has uh, provided for us in our own lives. As the book of Proverbs says, a, a, a proverb which may be familiar to us all, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. We end up sadly wanting more rather than what may be sufficient for us in our misguided ambition. And all of that is the cause of the, this anxiety that, that Jesus is talking about. And our judgment, sadly, of what is sufficient for us is usually overestimated because we're looking at the wrong examples. We're looking at the world in which we live where people are amassing things to themselves and where exactly is sufficient? What is sufficient? Where, where, is, where is the line drawn to tell me that this is sufficient? Sadly, our judgment of sufficiency can only be found when we read from the teaching of Jesus about how our lives ought to be lived. And I'd be the first to admit that it's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for us all. Do we know the, the, the harm that uh, can happen uh, to us uh, if, if, we, if, we, uh, if we are seeking the wrong things, if our ambition is for the wrong ends? As I said, uh, ap uh, application, ambition, diligence, uh, and such like are commendable. But we have to ask, to what end? To what end? So, sadly, anxiety and worry become the byproduct of pursuing what may very well be legitimate things for selfish rather than for God-glorifying reasons. And we're all guilty of that as sinners. That is what sinful nature has brought into our lives. It's this, uh, our senses are attracted by certain things and the sinful nature draws us to them to want them more and more and more. And when we go down to verses 31 and 32, it's very interesting how Jesus says, Jesus says therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
The world of advertising makes us believe that our satisfaction, our our real pressure, all our joy is found in the quantity of material goods that we have in this world. And what these things do, sadly, is usually uh, a, a disaster. We hear about very many people, for example, winning the lottery, and yet later on down the line, there is some sort of uh, disaster in their lives. They've, they've filled their lives with what will not last. And the same thing applies to anything of a material nature, that it, it just does not have that satisfying capability that the, the world and all the media might make us believe. And the principle of ambition, striving uh, for ambition can uh, be applied in various fields of our life. Uh, Ambition for status, for example. Ambition for promotion at the cost, at any cost. Ambition for increasing the amount of property we've got, and so on and so forth. Sometimes we do our best to justify these things. And speaking personally, the older I get, the more regret I have that perhaps my own life has been steered to a large extent by such things, the wrong direction being taken. And Jesus makes it clear in verse 32 that this is not kingdom of heaven values. The Gentiles seek after all these things. We can uh, paraphrase that in saying the values of the world are what the the Gentiles seek. The the Gentiles seek what are the values of the world. We can bring this right into a modern-day context. And it's always been that way. Nothing seems to have changed. The principle can apply uh, in that sense. But it's uh, a contrast of values being brought right into our focus here. Jesus makes it clear that uh, this is not kingdom of heaven or gospel behavior, but rather non-acknowledgement of heavenly father values uh, as, as though God wasn't going to supply our needs in, in their sufficiency and in all that we need. Jesus is gracious, as I said a few minutes ago. So there is this contrast of values and practice uh, being referred to here. Worldly values versus kingdom values. The worldly values are looking for one's own and forgetting other people, uh, summarized the kingdom values that Jesus promotes here are summarized in the scriptures by the love that we ought to have for God and for one's neighbor uh, as ourselves and as God by His Spirit enables us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think if we get this back into the proper focus, we have to ask ourselves, what is is my ambition? 
at this moment. What am I living for? What is my life all about? What is my worldview? Is it self-centered or is God in the center of it? The only living and true God. And then thirdly, he comes to the solution to all of this. And this is what I'm going to finish with in verse 33. That's what it says. But you notice that this section uh, at verse 25 begins with, therefore, I tell you. And he's been teaching various aspects of kingdom of God values. And now he is saying, but don't do this. Don't be anxious, but seek first the kingdom of God. Priorities, again. The antidote for this anxiety is, in a sense, Jesus is saying, prevention is better than cure. Don't let this uh, ambitious, sinful, ambitious nature take possession of you. It's very interesting how the amplified English translation puts verse 33. And I like this. It says, but first and most importantly, seek, that is, aim at, strive at the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that is defined as his way of doing things and being right and fair, being absolutely right. And Pursue also the attitude and the character of God, and all these things will be given to you also. The attitude and the character of God are displayed for us in none other than in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are reminded by Paul when he was writing to the Philippians, think like this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and so on. Humility and submitting ourselves to God's provision. And what, in summary, this verse is doing, verse 33, it's challenging you and me, is it not, uh, to be ambitious for kingdom of God values in our personal life. Seek first the kingdom of God, His way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God. Seek that. And where do we seek it? We seek it from the Word of God, the Word that He has left uh, as our only rule to direct us how we may glorify Him. So to seek and to multiply our possession of Christ-like traits is what is being taught here in verse 33. To promote Christ-likeness, otherwise called holiness in our lives. To be saved, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be aware of our need for that salvation, and to be changed, to be converted, to have this change taking place in our lives. And of course, all these kingdom values are summarized in the Gospels, the Gospel narratives in terms of love for the Lord and for one's neighbor, as I said already, and taught by Jesus and in the writings of the apostles. And it's a challenge for us, I think, any time of life, particularly now, as I said, with our freedoms being restored to a large extent, to ask ourselves, what am I doing with this? What is my priority in this life? And it doesn't matter 
how young or how middle-aged or how old we might be. We can always reassess our lives and what we are doing, which direction we are taking. We have to ask, which worldview do I model my life on? And what, what does my today look like? What's my philosophy of life today? Who am I following? Whose example? Whose word? What is my tomorrow going to be like if I don't change? Well, there are two choices, and that is very clear. If you go back to verse 24, Jesus makes that very clear. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Just leave it at that. You cannot serve God and mammon or money, he says. So there are two choices. Either the worldview that is presented to us in the Bible, in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, gospel, kingdom of God values, or the values of this world, which will not yield any satisfaction for us, which will always be me first, me second, anything left, I'll have it. These are the two choices. They're solemn choices. And it cannot be stressed how important it is to make the right choice. As Joshua said, choose ye this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'd like to conclude just with uh, a reference to two, uh, two parts of Scripture and the first part is from Paul's uh, letter to the Ephesians. I'd ju like just to cite this uh, in conjunction with what we have been talking about. Uh, it's in Ephesians chapter 4, at verse 28. I remember these verses well from uh, being a young lad, and they've stuck with me. And this is what, uh, once I get the right page, just bear with me. Ephesians chapter 4. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, coming to the end of the chapter, verse 28. He's talking about, to the Ephesians about conducting their lives. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I think we tend to look to uh, lose sight of that responsibility that we have as those who profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need, not so that he may have something to share to store up in barns becoming larger and larger and larger. This challenges us all. And then when Paul was writing to uh, Timothy in the first letter of Timothy and chapter 6. Just like to read a few verses from there. Timothy chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 6 and at verse 5. I should have bookmarked this. Never mind. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 5 reads like this. 
Now, there is great gain in godliness. Yes, this was being addressed to an individual, but it's a principle of the gospel for each and every one of us. There is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I wonder if anxiety, mental health comes into that, because that is what Jesus was addressing, the state of the mind. Harmful desires, senseless and harmful desires, plunging people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Don't think we take that to heart as much as we ought to. And later on in the same chapter, verse 17, this is what Paul says to Timothy. As for the rich in this present age, however, we're to define that word rich. Is that those who have more than they really need or whatever? Anyway, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, proud, pride, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. This is the positive side. It's a positive exhortation here. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. That is for you and for me. All of that, seeking who is in need and challenging yourselves with do I have more than I need? And I'm afraid we're living in a very secular society, a very materialistic society, and we as Christians are so easily sucked into it like a vortex, and before we realize it, we're right in, in it, and only God can extract us from it by His saving grace. May He bless to us our meditation on His Word. Lord, we give thanks to You and you speak to us words of challenge, but also words of wisdom and of encouragement. By your Spirit, may we take on board what you teach us through your Word. And may we here in this congregation, as well as in every other fellowship of your people, may we look out for one another and look out for those who are less fortunate than we in the things, the temporal things of this world. Grant us this, Lord, for your name's sake. Amen.